0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Goodbye Privacy Podcast. I'm your host, James Azar. Follow me on Twitter, James underscore Azar1, in my quest to gain more followers. We are back after a few weeks that we haven't been in the studio being able to address your privacy concerns. I was in Israel for a cybersecurity fly-in, and we had the 4th of July holiday when we came back. And now, it's summer, we're back and people are violating our privacy, and so on today's episode, we're going to talk about Apple and its view on privacy over the last 30 days. There's been a lot that Apple's been doing on privacy. We're going to definitely talk about that. We're also going to talk about British Airways, fine of $230 million for a data breach, but we're also going to talk about election security, and that's where I want to start today's episode. It feels like we live in a never-ending cycle of elections that just won't, ever stop we're 16 months from the presidential election and it feels like it's in full swing however the u.s just spent 40 million dollars on investigating if russia really interfered in the 2016 election and the results were overwhelmingly positive meaning russia did interfere in the 2016 election what the Mueller report could not prove could not even remotely address was the collusion um, if there was any collusion between the trump campaign and russia and the Mueller report concluded that there was no such thing as collusion but there was such a thing as russian interference in our election and as we're getting ready for the 2020 elections how do we make sure that there is no foreign interference in the u.s elections and not only from russia but china iran all kinds of different nations Even some of our allies that interfere with our elections to help promote their own agenda within the U.S. There's so many concerns on this issue, which I could dedicate an entire episode on. And it's something that we all must be educated on before this new cycle and this election cycle really picks up heading before the primaries in February of 2020. Online platforms like YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter have been in the headlines for censoring pundits from the right and some from the left uh, from its platform and pretty much allowing um, online um, ire, let's say, for example, from leftists like what Vox did to uh, Steven Crowder uh, when they doxed them to spread misinformation. The question is around regulation and the government's role in setting an even playing field, and this is where this discussion really gets complicated. Do we really want government regulating social media platforms or its content? It's a really slippery slope, since once the government writes a lot to essentially regulate this, this could drastically change every time there's a different majority in Congress until eventually our First Amendment right for freedom of speech absolutely disappears we could argue and i for one argue that the free market will establish con- different contenders for these platforms where users who are unhappy will go to jordan peterson's already in the process of doing something similar since he's been kicked off several social media platforms and i think that's only the very beginning of it our right for free speech and open market should be the leading source of our conversation i personally don't trust that government can really handle this effectively or make any significant change with any teeth That will create a level playing field since these companies are private and are entitled to do whatever they please. They also have lobbyists on the Hill promoting their agenda on this matter. I feel like any kind of law, once you start kind of trying to regulate something or put something together and once lobbyists get involved and more money starts happening, you end up with a very watered down version of something. I'm going to dedicate a full episode to this as we get closer to the election and closer to the primaries next year, Um, but I want to fuel this conversation and take it to Twitter. Really kind of addressing what are some of the solutions, not around the problem, not around the injustices, but more about what is the ideal solution in our democracy. Our democracy was created when the idea of press was newspapers and barely any radio And our democracy has evolved from radio and press to TV to so, and now to the Internet. And from the Internet, originally, it was papers going from paper to digital, and now it's social media with anyone being able to create a website and a news story and so many other things. So we have to kind of look at this and be, how do we continue to have our democracy and our republic and our freedom of speech while still maintaining a free market And allowing people to really have the freedom of choice, including private businesses like Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and others. And on the center side of it, which I feel like where probably 80% of our population resides, we haven't really had that open and honest dialogue. So I invite you all to join on Twitter under the hashtag Datacartels, and let's get this conversation going. And now to today's episode... Let's talk about Apple. But before we proceed, I want to invite you to join us on September 11th, 2019, in Atlanta, Georgia, for the annual CyberHub Summit. Yours truly will be emceeing and headlining the summit this year. And it's uh, an invitation only summit not open to the public, focused on helping cybersecurity practitioners. And people who have a touch or dab in cybersecurity in their business to get a better understanding around it. This year's summit is designed to be around third-party supply chain risks and M&A risks that evolve from cybersecurity, uh, that, that create cybersecurity risks for an organization, no different than how the Marriott breach really happened, and so many others that have been happened through man-in-the-middle attacks. So make sure you go to cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James to apply to attend since this is not open to the public. This is a closed summit. You do have to apply and you will be receiving an email with either a confirmation or uh, letting you know why you aren't able to attend if you are a cybersecurity vendor um, and you're listening to the show. Well, I appreciate your listening. CyberHub Um only allows vendors to become innovation partners. So if you apply to attend, you will likely be uh, declined. If um, you are a cybersecurity practitioner or someone who has a passion for cybersecurity and privacy, then you can apply at cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James. Again, that's cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James. Cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James to apply to attend this year's Cyber Hub Summit on September 11th at the suite water brewery so if you love beer you are going to want to be there and now to today's main topic apple is it really for privacy so apple is one of the world's largest most trusted brands me as james i personally only use apple products I have a MacBook Air, an iPad, and iPhones. I use nothing that is not Apple, um, and it's been that way now for the last about 12 years or so. But the question at large is, is Apple really for privacy? And on today's show, I'm going to explore that. So I've given you that I only use Apple products, so I am don't want to say I'm a bit biased, but I, I, I do prefer an Apple product over a Windows product. Um, so let's start with this. Apple has an entire web page and about 14 others that link to that web page that talk about privacy on its website. That's apple.com/privacy. Very simple. By far the most I've seen in the years I've been doing this. I will say that they speak in keywords without much detail to help you better understand what they're really doing or what tools they are using. To counter that, I will say that I didn't expect to see how they do this on their website. I think that'd be really silly since it would be giving the bad guys the blueprint to how they operate. But I was hoping to find a bit more detail, and I'll be reaching out separately to their CISO or people in their privacy team for an interview on this matter in the coming months and uh, hope to get a little bit more information. But back to the Apple web- webpage, which is apple.com forward slash privacy. It really starts off with this following statement, which I am going to read. At Apple, we believe privacy is a fundamental human right. And so much of your personal information, information you have a right to keep private, lives on your Apple devices. Your heart rate after a run, which news stories you read first, where you bought your last coffee, what websites you visit, who you call, email, or message. Every Apple product is designed from the ground up to protect that information and to empower you to choose what what to share and with whom. We've proved time and time again that, the, that great experiences don't have to come at the expense of your privacy and security. Instead, they can support them. They continue to say, when we use data to create better experiences for you, we work hard to do it in a way that doesn't compromise your privacy. One example is our pioneering use of differential privacy where we scramble your data and combine it with data of millions of others so we see general pattern rather than specifics that could be traced back to you. These patterns help us identify things like the most popular emoji, the best quick type suggestion, and energy consumption rates in Safari. So, what makes Apple really different from the larger data cartels we speak about weekly on this podcast? For one, Apple doesn't really sell ads. Well, at least not the same way that Google and Facebook do. It sells us hardware, like a MacBook Pro, an iMac an iPhone, or an iPad. And so it doesn't really have a lot of interest in our data outside of how we use their hardware so that they can better produce better hardware and better software in the future for how we use them. And they're also one of the world's richest companies without really having to sell data. So when you think of Facebook and Google, um, they really make most of their money off of selling our data. And I'm gonna get to that in just a minute. So if Apple's all about hardware and devices uh, and selling hardware and devices to us, they do say that they do collect some information. However, you know, because they scramble the data, they say that they can't really specify one user behavior over another. They don't really kind of put us in a pattern, but rather they want to look at usage patterns rather than individual patterns. They also don't collect any any personal information on Apple's private servers. All the information is stored in our devices, thus giving us complete control uh, through the various privacy settings they have available on our devices, which is also very true. Most of our data is stored on our device. You can clear it. um, You can decide what you share, what you don't share. You can delete it and do so much more with it. This is one key difference between Apple and its key competitors like Google and Facebook, whose majority of their revenue relies on getting our data and selling it to advertisers because they're in the business of selling ads. Like Mark Zuckerberg famously said at uh, a Senate hearing when he was asked to testify after the Cambridge Analytics breach was, how do you make your money? And he goes, Senator, we sell ads. Now, Apple has recently admitted to selling ads, but it's in a very small scale, and it's based on a user's history in its new apps like the News Apps and the App Store. And that's mostly what it uses us for. The company does admit that it freely collects information about what music we listen to, what movies and books and apps we download, which is aggregated and used to help Apple make recommendations. Apple says it doesn't share this information with any outside companies either, and notes that it doesn't know the identity of the user. What Apple won't do, at least for now, is make it easy for you to get your data so you can check out what exactly Apple has held on to. Facebook and Google do offer this service via download request that can take a few hours to generate. Then you get an email, um, an email link to download it yourself, and you'd be shocked at what's in there. Um, I've done I did this for myself a few weeks ago as I was preparing for this episode. And one of the things I found is that they actually track and store every single image I've ever uploaded on their social media networks. Kind of worrisome for me personally. Some of this um, data I got uh, last year, um, USA Today's Talking Tech segment from April of last year really kind of went into this. And we'll get into more of that in just a minute. But before... If you love listening to our Goodbye Privacy podcast, you have to understand we're self-funded. We don't want to compromise our principles, but you can help by supporting us on patreon.com forward slash cyberhubengage where you can be generous in donating as little as $1 a month and supporting our podcast or as much as $50 a month. It just depends on how rich you are and helping us continue to provide you with this great content. Um, Simply because of the way we cater our sponsorships to our uh, potential sponsors. We don't want to compromise some of our driving principles of the podcast, and if so, you can go to patreon.com forward slash cyberhubengage to help support our podcast. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash cyberhubengage, and you can help us grow our content, our community, and support our show by getting more people to listen to it. So make sure you go to patreon.com forward slash cyberhubengage to support us and get a shout out on this very podcast. So just last month at the WWDC, Apple announced its iOS 13, which is changing the way app developers get our information. And it no longer requires us to use our social media accounts or email addresses to use an app that we download from the App Store. And this is how Apple is addressing Privacy going forward. So in today's world, when you download an app, you either log in through your Facebook, Twitter, or email address, thus essentially giving Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or any or or Google more access to your data because once you download the app, then they're essentially harvesting all the data you're using on their app and on similar apps or any app you use them to log in through. And thus nothing's really kept private anymore. So Apple in an effort to really change that and and putting together in the Tim Cook era at least uh, a higher value on user privacy, understanding that users really do care about privacy and that Apple can make a play that Google and Facebook cannot make. So here's what Apple did. A new sign-in with Apple service is about to change the way iOS users access apps. Instead of handing over your email address to a developer or using a social account like Facebook or Google, you'll soon be able to sign into apps with your Apple ID. Tapping the Sign In with Apple button authenticates with either your Face ID or Touch ID, and the Futures creates a unique random ID that keeps the developer from accessing your personal data on your device. If the app developer asks for an email address, sign in with Apple will also give you the option to generate a unique random email address that will keep your real email private so you no longer get spammed or have your email addresses sold across various platforms or various apps. As we know, most app developers have multiple apps, and once you download one app, they'll start spamming you to download other apps on your platform. So, sign in. Um, so, any email correspondence the app decides to send you will then get forwarded from that random email to your actual inbox that you have registered with Apple, including your iCloud mailbox, which I feel like is a great way of managing our privacy. Simply because whenever you download an app, it requires you to sign in to collect your information. You're giving them so, so much access. Here, Apple's really limiting. I can't imagine this is really popular with app developers, but let's continue. But doing your mobile computing on a Google-made operating system comes at a different cost, and this is what it comes with Android. What makes uh, a sign-in with Apple such an appealing alternative to social logins is that it prevents companies like Google and Facebook from really tracking you, and I just spoke about that. Facebook and Google offer login services because it gives them access to valuable user data. In other words, users get one-click access to apps, but they also sacrifice their privacy. That's a costly tax in its own way. So if you download a, the Gmail app and the Google Calendar app because you use the G Business Suite or Microsoft or Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp, you're really giving them complete access over everything you have on your device. If you read it and you look at it and if you've listened to some of our earlier episodes, we we'll really talk about this in, in, in a lot more detail, you see that. So Apple's really kind of trying to change the game there. Still, There's another argument to this, and I want to be fair in my assessment, so I I want to mention the following. Some skeptics are already wondering if Apple's just bolstering its privacy offering in an attempt to convince more people into buying iPhones. Of course it is. I mean, (laughs) if you're a skeptic wondering why Apple's doing this, of course, they want to sell more iPhones. They're in the business of selling us hardware. They're not in the business of harvesting our data and selling it. They're in the business of giving us hardware that we can use that helps us manage our privacy better than other devices. Apple has always positioned itself as a tech company that cares about user privacy and that sales pitch has become increasingly convincing as data breaches get worse and data-hungry companies like Google gobble up more and more of our personal information for targeted ads and as a result are getting creepier. So creepy that many people think that Facebook is recording a real-world conversation for better ad targeting. This conspiracy theory probably isn't true. But it's scary how much companies like Facebook, Google, Amazon, and others really know about us, in part because their social login services have given them a firehose of personal data. So it's not quite outrageous to think that some people would be willing to pay a bit more for an iPhone in order to avoid the glaring gaze of big brother Google, Amazon, or so many others. Now, here's the one aspect of this that people have to understand. Google, Facebook... And many others and amazon is probably in a similar position as apple only they're really trying to kind of run our day-to-day with you know the ring doorbell with echo and, and and alexa and so many others they really are listening there's a picture of mark zuckerberg where he has his camera covered and he has the microphone on his mac covered as well and there's a really funny meme around it saying if you know. Mark Zuckerberg himself doesn't you know, trust it. What should we think as normal people? And I think for the most part, people don't really think so much about their privacy because they don't think why they are targeted. They don't understand why would anyone come after me? I'm just a simple person out of you know, 7 billion people in the world. Why would anyone want to come after me? Fact is, most people do this. They want to invade your privacy for uh, financial gain. And that can either be by blackmailing you for specific information you have on your device where sextortion now has seen an increased rise with more and more reports um, that hackers are targeting people's devices, downloading pictures, and then threatening to put them online if they're not paid. That's one way of doing it. And so that's why you should care about your privacy, and that's why you should really be careful of what you store on your mobile device. Just be very mindful of that. And I'm not saying be paranoid, but practice good privacy hygiene. Use a VPN. Um, Don't answer a text from a number you don't know. If there's a link from a number you don't know via text message and it looks like an ad, it probably isn't. Don't click on it. Just report it as spam so at least your mobile phone carrier understands that uh, stuff originating from this phone number is spam and that can help minimize the damage that these messages do. So there's ways to practice safe hygiene. But I want to get back to sign in with Apple because we're really not going to see a public release yet um, until this fall. And there's still a lot that we don't yet know about how it works. For instance, there's been no mention of whether the new service will work on the web, meaning is it just going to be on our iPhone or would it also work on our iMacs as well. It's unclear if the version of sign in, Apple, sign in with Apple might be coming for folks who have an Apple ID but don't own an iOS device. Based on the fact that Sign In with Apple is listed as an iOS feature, this seems unlikely in the immediate feature, future. We don't know that Apple is making a broader push to fame privacy as a new service that comes with a certain product. Or products. In addition to the sign in with Apple announcement, the company revealed a pair of new HomeKit initiatives that enable third party security cameras and router manufacturers to take advantage of Apple privacy features. HomeKit Secure Video will work with new third party cameras from Arlo, LogTech, and others so that video feeds will get encrypted by Apple and sent directly to the iCloud. And you better bet that Apple will be charging those camera users for iCloud storage. Although the company has not yet released the details of those plans, we know even less about the new HomeKit enabler routers, but Apple did say that it will make third-party routers like comp- from companies like Eero and Linksys more private and secure. So Apple's really kind of going and, and and taking a different route than Amazon in saying, we want to encrypt. We are going to require third-party companies to go through our process to make it more secure and thus creating a uh, a user to be more reliant on Apple. It's a smart strategy by Apple because privacy with more, more IoT devices becoming uh, readily available with very little or no security at all, Apple is essentially betting that if you trust Apple for privacy, then you'll buy products through Apple because they're gonna offer you a bit more privacy and security And Apple feels that people who care about that and the the conscious public will probably spend more on it and invest in protecting the people around them as well. And that's probably going to prove to be a very, very good gamble for Apple. Privacy as a new service seems like a good idea. It's quite clear that companies with data businesses or an incentive to collect as much user data as possible, have little interest in strong privacy protections. Just look at Amazon and the never-ending privacy nightmare that is Alexa's proof of this. As Tim Cook loves to say, Apple has no interest in selling user data, so it's doubling down on its commitment to privacy. The company is also doubling down on its commitment to selling iPhones, and yes, new services too. Apple didn't become a trillion-dollar business by giving stuff away. And that's really important to understand about Apple here, folks. As I kind of sum up this specific segment, I will say the following. Apple is, has been and continues to be a leader in privacy from encrypting iMessage messages to what happened with the San Bernardino shooting suspects when the FBI asked Apple to unencrypt the phone and Apple refused to do it. Uh, taking the FBI to court before eventually a third-party provider broke that encryption uh, accompanied by the name of Celebrite and was able to help the FBI um, unencrypt the phone and download the data from the San Bernardino terror suspects that did that massacre in San Bernardino. People on the national security standpoint argued that Apple should have gladly opened the door. And Apple said, while you might be right, we don't want to just open the door every time the FBI comes knocking for whatever reason. And they got some flack for it, but I think overall it did end up playing in their favor because they just wouldn't bow down for the sake of anything. And there's something to be said about that when it comes to Apple. It's, it's known that Google, Facebook, Amazon, and others do heavily cooperate with law enforcement, and there's nothing wrong with that. If, this is, if it's for the sake of national security, it's hard for me to argue that they shouldn't do so. I think there should be more transparency in this with the public and it doesn't have to be real-time transparency, but it should be post-time transparency. Three years down the road, we should be able to see a report from three years before of what these social media platforms shared with law enforcement just for the sake of having that level of transparency. It may not need be names, but it could be something along those lines. I know Facebook did something very similar um, a while ago. And different Freedom of Information Acts get stuck for requests by the press, get stuck for years and years and years in bureaucratic courts, um, and that becomes an issue and a challenge. So Apple does have some sort of precedent in defending user privacy. The fact is, because they're a hardware company and not really a software company, they're not giving us a free service. Anything that you use with Apple, they charge you money for. So they're really more driven off their volume and privacy seems like a great way to get more volume more people buying apple products the question is as apple becomes more privacy conscious is it going to compromise at some point they did start selling some ads because of some of the new apps they did including you know the app store where they've always sold a bit of ads targeting you based on the other apps you download which I believe is fine because if you're buying one app, you're likely wanna see similar apps to it. It's different from you know cookies that you see on Facebook and Amazon and Google that are really invasive. On the other end with their new news app, they're really targeting you based on different articles you read. They're selling and and really ads makes a very very small part of the revenue for Apple. The question is if the revenue drop further, will there be more pressure for them to start really harvesting data and selling it for ad money to make that gap. And that remains to be seen and that's a very very valid question that we wait and see what Apple will do on this aspect. There it has to be said and it has to be argued that overall Apple devices are not only cooler, um, they seem to be, Apple seems to be more of a Mercedes-Benz while Samsung seems to be more of a BMW. And I say that um, and I compare it because BMW is always the first to roll something out that always malfunction, breaks, like the, fold, the Samsung foldable phone, which made a bunch of hype, then it came out and it was an absolute flop and you don't hear about it anymore. It's disappeared. But Samsung wanted to be the first. They wanted to plant the flag. Only they rushed to create a product without properly testing it, vetting it, and it ended up crashing and burning. Apple, on the other hand, is like Mercedes-Benz. They watch what BMW is doing. They go, we're going to give it another year or two to test it, perfect it, and when we launch it, it's got to be perfect. And that seems to be the Apple model um, since the competition in the smartphone era has increased People always complain whenever they launch a new iPhone that, oh, Samsung has a better product or Android has developed a better phone with more features and it does all these cool things, right? But these things always have a security vulnerability or they tend to break or they tend to malfunction or they don't really tend to do everything they're hyped up to be. And then when Apple releases a product, for the most part, pending and, you know, I put an asterisk here because, you know, they've had some some screw ups in the past. But for the most part, it works as advertised, and it works really, really well, and people do really enjoy it. And you look that at the churn number of Apple users to Android users, Apple is by far has a higher a higher um, a retention rate than Android devices do. And that's also evident when you look at any Apple store you walk into, there's always people inside every hour of the day. There's always people working. It's always busy. People are in there either to get their devices fixed, look at new devices, whether it be a new Apple Watch or an iPad or an iPhone, um, around year-round. So Apple has obviously really well positioned itself in this on this battle. And they're prized to be a company that really cares about your privacy, and they're going to build it in their hardware. Do I see Apple going into the cyber business and the difference between cyber and privacy? And we'll we'll have to do an episode here on Goodbye Privacy, kind of trying to explain the difference between cybersecurity and privacy. People tend to intertwine the two, but they're really not the same. There's an element of cybersecurity and privacy, and there's an element of privacy and cybersecurity, but they're not really one of the same. And that's why most companies have a chief information security officer, and then they have a chief privacy officer, because there's a conflict between cybersecurity and privacy and there needs to kind of be a representation of both ends and we'll, we'll do that at a later episode and if you want to have a conversation about that again you can tweet at me james underscore azar one on twitter with the hashtag data cartels which are questions and we can go through this um all day and all night uh, i'll be happy to kind of explain the difference apple is on the verge of doing something extremely revolutionary and it's going to be great um interested to see how the iOS 13 will come out this fall. We're in July. It's supposed to be released sometime around the time of September, October. When it does, I'll download it and we will do a follow-up on iOS 13 and this privacy as a uh, the, the, the single sign-on with Apple and I'll review it on our show and we'll talk about it. Maybe we'll bring in a panel of different people and kind of make a discussion out of it. Finally, let's go to British Airways GDPR. Fine. But before we do that, I've um, invited you guys to join us on September 11th for Cyber Hub Summit in Atlanta, Georgia, where I will be emceeing the event. What I failed to mention earlier and what I do want to mention now is this isn't an event with a bunch of speakers. Um, This is about a collaborative environment for cybersecurity professionals to go through different cybersecurity exercises, interact through roundtables, and really get a hands on experience of the different innovation partners that have joined Cyber Hub Summit, including Shape Security and Exigence, who are some of the innovation partners for this year's Cyber Hub Summit, with a few more in a route that we will discuss uh, later on. So it's really uh, the boys coming into town and really showing what they actually do rather than just talking about it. So make sure you go to cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James. Again, that's Cyber Hub Summit forward slash James to apply to attend. Uh, this year's summit. It's not a full day event. It starts around lunchtime and goes into the evening with a great dinner at the Sweetwater Brewery. So if you love beer like I do and those who don't know, in our studio here, Micah can attest to this. We have a lot of beer in the fridge. A lot of Sweetwater beer in the fridge too. Micah doesn't drink because he's a good church choir boy who enjoys going and praising the great Lord Every Sunday morning, religiously, no pun intended. Me, on the other hand, I enjoy beer and wine. So if you do like that, I love your recommendations for good beer, good wine. Let me know. Love to hear about it. But now let's get to British Airways and their GDPR fine. So. Britain Privacy's watchdog has issued a notice of intent that it plans to fine British Airways 184 million pounds, which equates to $230 million for violating the EU General Data Protection Regulation. The proposed fine is the result of an investigation by Britain's Information Commissioner's office into British Airways after it suffered a September 2008 data breach that rerouted customers to a fraudulent site designed to steal their payment card data. Though this false site, through this false site, I'm sorry, customer details were harvested by the attacker. Personal data of approximately 500,000 customers were compromised in this incident, which is believed to have begun in June of 2018. This, according to the ICO, in a statement they issued on uh, Monday of this week. The regulator's fine is being levied not because the airline suffered a breach, but because what the ICO says was the organization's poor security posture at the time of the breach. The ICO's investigation has found that a variety of information was compromised by per security arrangements at the company, including login, payment card, and travel booking details, as well as name and address information, it says. Now, the ICO announced this on Twitter on July 8th, essentially saying they are going to fine um, the uh, British Airways, 183.39 million pounds, again, equals to about $230 million. The proposed fine is equivalent to 1.5% of British Airways' 2017 annual revenues. The ICO says the suggested fine is not final and that its ultimate recommendation will take into account comments from British Airways as well as other EU data protection authorities. The ICO says that while it has taken the lead on the investigation under the GDPR one-stop shop provision, the data protection authorities in the EU whose residents have been affected will also have a chance to comment on the ICO's findings. Here we go, folks. (laughs) GDPR, the money grab of the 21st century, is up, alive, and kicking, and man, oh, man, Are these guys ready to really bring it on? So who do you think is going to be impacted by British Airways dishing out $230 million? Shareholders? Mm -mm. Consumers. The same people that ICO is designed to protect are going to end up having to pay for this fine. And here's why I say this. British Airways brand wasn't damaged by the breach. While the ICO declares that there were some security lapses, GDPR is designed to find a victim of a breach rather than going after the perpetrator. Go after the attackers, prosecute the attackers, bring them to justice. Instead, GDPR is a money grab because of a failed socialist agenda in the European Union. No wonder the UK wants to get out of the EU. This isn't new, folks. I've spoken about this multiple times on this podcast, on our other podcast, on the Cyber Hub Engage podcast. GDPR is a ploy by government to say that they want to give us control over our privacy. It's really not that private People are still allowed to collect information. We just have to consent. We have the right to be forgotten. But once we engage them again, then that right to be forgotten goes away. If we complain, then we've got someone that's advocating for us. But technically, at the end of the day, this is a government money grab to go after companies who are victims of crime. British Airway wasn't openly selling 500,000 people's credit credit card information. That was not their plan, I guarantee it. Guarantee it, willing to sign on it. Guarantee it, that was not their plan. They didn't want this to happen. They've got third party companies that were part of their infrastructure and system who probably also failed in this, but because British Airways is British Airways and they have more money, why would you go after the third party that did this? You're going to go after British Airways. Why? Because you can get 184 million pounds out of them to go into the government budget to make up for all the shortfalls of the government mismanaging the citizens' affairs. That's all this is. That's all this is, folks. That's all it is. Anyone who wants to argue this point with me, I welcome you to debate me on this. But to me, GDPR is just a government grab, no different than what the California Consumer Protection Act is coming in California in uh, technically a year from this month, July 1st. It's supposed to be enforced with companies getting six months from January 1st of 2020 to July 1st of 2020 uh, to get some clarification from the Attorney General of California. This is a money grab. It's going to impact consumers who are going to pay more for their plane tickets. It's going to impact employees who could be fired from their jobs or no raises would be given simply because the company just paid $230 million for a a fine. And this isn't final. This fine could be reduced, they say. I doubt it. It might increase slightly, I think, because while the UK issues this, Uh, 500,000 people were impacted, and if some of them were, let's say, from other EU nations, which there were, then they have a say in getting part of this fine as well. And so this money's going to get kind of split and given all these different people to do God knows what. Instead, I have a proposal. If the governments really care about privacy, create for... All heaven's sake, create a task force to help companies deal with their security. Companies that are national assets that are going to be national targets, financial institutions, airlines, transportation companies, critical infrastructure, and support them and go after the perpetrators, the nation states, these criminal organizations that are after these people's data. Create a list of sanctions, drive other governments in other nations who harbor this kind of behavior, who allow it to happen and turn a blind eye to it and find them by putting tariffs on their products, forcing them to go after these companies locally within their own jurisdiction and putting a stop to it. Because the purpose... If the purpose of GDPR is to protect the privacy of one nation's citizens and giving them more control over their data in a more online world, then the first thing we should do is we should de-incentivize attackers from going after our companies, number one. Number two, we should help our companies as governments by employing different tactics – protect them and we should create consequences for governments for nations that harbor this kind of activity whether it be russia pakistan china north korea iran bangladesh wherever it comes from the united states there should be consequences for attackers that do this whether it be extradition whether it be the risk of an Interpol notice on them for doing so. Create a deterrent. There, today, there's no deterrent for hackers, none, whatsoever. None. There's no deterrent for hackers today to not go after companies. And yet, we're going after these companies and we're finding them as a government rather than supporting them at their time of need. That's like someone breaking into your house and the police force coming to file a report and then they investigate and they go... You know what? It was your fault that you forgot to lock the door. By the way, we did this X amount of uh, hours of police work. We're going to bill you for it. It's the same equivalent. That's it for my rant on this GDPR fine, which absolutely infuriates me. This is horseshit. Um, it's what it is. It's 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 complete and absolute horseshit. It's showing me why the EU's socialist policies continue to fail and why the Europe – Economies on decline, why more and more companies are leaving the Europe to go to the, come to the U.S. and operate out of here, and why the European market continues to see a decline and a slow in their GDP is because when you create these kind of rules and policies, you're driving business to the ground because they not only have to spend money protecting the organization with no support, no support, They also have to worry about Big Brother coming and finding them after they were victims of a crime. Riddle me this, folks. You want to keep this conversation going, you can go to Twitter, James underscore Azar1. Azar spelled Alpha Zulu, Alpha Romeo, A-Z-A-R or A-Z-A-R-1. James underscore Azar1. And we can continue this conversation on Twitter or on our social media pages at CyberHub Engage. Make sure you follow, share, Share this podcast with your friends. Let them know what we are doing here. My name is James Azar. Thanks for listening to the Goodbye Privacy Podcast. Next week, we're going to be talking about Google, the empire of information. That's it for this week's episode. We'll be back with more. Thanks for listening. We're out.